RTHK News. It's one o'clock. I'm out as well. The headlines. There are growing calls for the government to clarify the Beijing power out. An infectious disease expert says social distancing measures should remain in place. And a think tank blames government red tape for causing tight housing supply. Executive Councillor and Barrister Ronnie Tong says it's regrettable the government issued confusing statements over the role of the liaison office here, which is being accused of interfering in Hong Kong affairs. On Saturday, the government published three statements within a few hours, sparking confusion about whether the liaison office was bound by Article 22 of the Basic Law, which states no mainland department can interfere in local affairs. Mr Tong joined growing calls by legal experts for officials to clarify the issue. They should learn the lesson that before they touch on complicated and sensitive issues like the current one, they should first of all seek the advice of constitutional experts, particularly constitutional experts from the mainland, because after all, the only final arbiter of the true meaning of basic law belongs to the NPCSC, the National People's Congress Standing Committee. An infectious disease expert says social distancing should remain in place in Hong Kong in view of a local COVID-19 case reported yesterday, the first in 10 days. Professor David Hoy of the Chinese University told an RTHK radio show that the government should prioritise tracing the patient's close contacts and stopping the virus from being spread in the community. A think tank found... A think tank founded by former chief executive Chung Chihua has blamed government red tape for causing delays in the supply of new flats in the territory. Our Hong Kong Foundation is predicting only 20,000 public housing units will be completed in the coming four years, which is 32% below a government target. The foundation has also lowered its estimate on the supply of new private homes in the next five years from around 18,000 to 16,000 units each year. Its deputy executive director Stephen Wong said bureaucracy in rezoning land has a role to play in causing the delays. In order to actually have the land ready to be built, we actually need to have a process of getting the land ready. So it's that process, you know, all sorts of regulatory procedures in order to actually streamline that process uh, so that we can actually hopefully meet the target, which is actually already low. So we are failing even to meet the low target because of the process of getting the land ready. So it's not enough, you know, to, to find land, which we spend a lot of time talking about. But after you find land, you actually need to expedite your process so that your land is ready to be made into private units to meet the target. Even the target is actually underestimated. Police say a gunman killed 16 people in a rampage in Nova Scotia, making it the deadliest such attack in Canadian history. They say the attack began on Saturday night in the rural community and took place across several locations in Portapique. They confirmed one police officer had been killed and the 51-year-old suspect, named as Gabriel Wartman, who was also dead. Chris Leather, the criminal operations officer for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in Nova Scotia, addressed a press conference. We are in the early stages uh, of an incredibly detailed and complex investigation that has forever changed uh, countless lives and has left multiple victims. Our focus right now is to gather all evidence and information about these incidents and to get answers to many unanswered questions. Speaking outside his official residence in the capital, the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said what happened in the province was a tragedy. I know we've all been watching this on the news. My hearts go out to everyone affected in what is a terrible situation. I want to thank the police for their hard work 
and people for cooperating with authorities. The governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, says he'll launch an aggressive COVID-19 antibody testing campaign next week to identify how many people in the state have been infected. Speaking at his daily briefing, Mr. Cuomo said the test had been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and up to 14,000 people would be tested every week. We're going to be rolling it out to do the largest survey of any state population that has been done. And we'll take thousands of antibody tests over this next week all across the state to give us a real snapshot, a real baseline of exactly how many people were infected by coronavirus and have the antibodies. The number of deaths from the new coronavirus in the United States has topped 40,000, according to a running tally by Johns Hopkins University. Almost half of them are in New York. The death toll exceeds that of Italy, which has the second highest number at just over 23,500. The United States has almost 760,000 confirmed cases. The latest coronavirus figures from Turkey show it now has more cases than China. It registered nearly 4,000 new cases in 24 hours, bringing the total to more than 86,000. Here's the BBC's Mike Sanders. Until as recently as March the 10th, Turkey hadn't recorded a single coronavirus case. Now it is fast catching up with some of the worst affected countries. It registered more infections in the latest daily accounting period than Italy, which is second only to the United States on a global scale. The Interior Ministry was severely criticised early this month for a flash announcement of a weekend curfew in 31 cities. It sparked a frenzy of panic buying, with huge crowds in close proximity. But the jump in figures could also be down to Turkey's accelerating testing programme. The total number of COVID-19 cases in Latin America has exceeded 100,000. More than 5,000 deaths have been reported. Brazil has the highest number of cases and half the fatalities in the region. But President Jair Bolsonaro continues to play down the impact of the pandemic, urging people to return to work. Here's the BBC's Leonardo Rocha. I think in this crisis, President Jair Bolsonaro has lost more supporters than gained. Many people who voted for him or supported him have seen this as completely unacceptable. We have a growth in the number of deaths uh, following the path of other other countries. We have uh, 200 for a, a few days and now we have 300 people in a single day. And it's well known that's uh, been very uh, underreported, the number of deaths. Italy has registered another drop in the number of deaths with coronavirus and a further slowing of infections. The latest daily bulletin recorded 433 deaths, around 50 fewer than the previous day. The rate of increase in new daily infections also halved. France also showed signs of making headway against the disease with slightly more coronavirus patients being discharged from hospital than coming in for treatment. Germany will today begin relaxing some of its restrictions to prevent the spread of the coronavirus, allowing small shops and some schools to reopen. The German authorities announced last week that the infection rate had slowed and the outbreak was under control. The BBC's Jenny Hill reports. Germany's strategy for combating the coronavirus, early mass testing and an effective lockdown, has been the focus of international attention. The Chancellor Angela Merkel's next step will be closely scrutinised too. From today, small shops can reopen and older pupils, particularly those with exams, will begin to return to school. It's a cautious start too cautious for critics in the hospitality sector, which will remain closed. The authorities, conscious of a rise in the number of deaths and infected healthcare workers, have increased testing capacity and now recommend the wearing of face masks in shops and on public transport. 
In a message apparently aimed at his Hindu nationalist supporters, the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi says COVID-19 doesn't see race, religion, colour or caste before striking. In a tweet, Mr Modi called for unity and brotherhood in the face of the pandemic. The message follows a surge in anti-Muslim rhetoric from his supporters on social media, blaming Muslims for spreading the virus. India has recorded nearly 18,000 cases of coronavirus with more than 550 deaths. The BBC's Yogita Lame is in Delhi. We're now in our fourth week of lockdown and it will continue until the 3rd of May. Doctors and health experts I've been speaking to have told me that the shutdown has reduced the burden on hospitals to some extent. But some of these frontline workers have also told us that it's not possible to assess the real scale of the outbreak in the country because it's not testing enough. India's government insists it has enough supplies of testing kits to last for a few more weeks at least. An estimated 2,000 Israelis have demonstrated in Tel Aviv against Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and ongoing coalition talks. Wearing face masks and all standing two metres apart, the protesters called upon the Speaker of Parliament, Benny Gantz, to stop talks about a power-sharing government with Mr Netanyahu, who is charged with corruption. Mr Gantz had initially pledged not to join forces with Mr Netanyahu, but changed his mind to be able to confront the coronavirus crisis. An Israeli opposition legislature Legislator Yair Lapid said it was important for people to make their voices heard. We're fighting for everything and anything that is essential to the future of this country and our children, the Israeli democracy, and the way this government, is in its sloppiness, is handling the corona crisis. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Harry and Meghan, have told a group of Britain's tabloid newspapers that there are to end all forms of cooperation with them. Here's the BBC's David Sedato. It's no secret that the Duke and Duchess, Harry and Meghan, have had a difficult relationship with large parts of the press. They have already withdrawn from the royal rotor system, and this letter lays out the new rules of engagement. They will no longer deal in any way with the Mail, the Sun, the Mirror and the Express newspapers. This is, they say, not a blanket policy, as they will continue to work with a wide variety of other media. But it means there will be, in their words, zero engagement with papers it accuses of distorted, false and invasive coverage. The statement comes just days before a scheduled hearing in the Duchess of Sussex's ongoing privacy case against associated newspapers, the publishers of the Daily Mail and Mail Online. The Shanghai Stock Exchange says it's investigating into some cross-exchange indexes displaying abnormal behaviour. In a statement on its official WeChat account, the exchange said indexes including the CSI 1000, CSI 300 and the Healthcare Index were affected, but it didn't elaborate. And a short time ago, the Hang Seng Index was at 24,361, that's 18 points down on the previous close. Turnover stands at $49 billion. The US dollar is trading at 107.79 yen. The euro is standing at 1 US dollar and eight cents, and the pound is worth nine Hong Kong dollars and sixty-six cents. Japan's exports have slumped the most in nearly four years as US-bound shipments, including cars, fell at the fastest rate since 2011. Exports fell 11.7% in March, compared with a 10.1% decrease expected by economists. And now to sports. Here's Atom Chung. The French World Cup winner Frank Leboeuf says football clubs in the Northern Hemisphere should change the schedule of their seasons to prepare for the World Cup in Qatar. Professional football leagues across Europe remain suspended because of COVID-19 with no return date set. Leboeuf says clubs should finish their domestic seasons when it's safe to do so and then start again in January. 
There is a possibility to uh, to make sure that you can finish the season and then start over maybe a little bit later, knowing that you have the European Championship and you have the World Cup in Qatar in 2022. So why don't we prepare all um, North Hemisphere countries to um, change the, the schedule? Brighton owner Tony Bloom says it would be unfathomable to relegate clubs from the English Premier League if the season cannot be completed. He says it would be unfair to demote any club under the circumstances. I just don't think it's fathomable that a team which is not allowed to play out the season may lose out on point two of a point based on this system. And also, you know, it doesn't take into account the, the strength of the teams you haven't played. There are also fears over the long-term impact on women's football. The World Players Union, FIFPRO, has warned that the investment into the women's game may stall. There hasn't been a top-flight league match since the end of February. England and Manchester City's Jill Scott admits it's an uncertain time. Everything's up in the air and un- until we actually see the damage that's done, then we just need to try and fix everything from there, really. But... As players, we just have to continue being good role models, interacting with the fans. Ice hockey's all-time top scorer Wayne Gretzky says he's optimistic that the NHL will resume this summer. All sports in North America have been shut down for more than a month due to COVID-19, but the Great One believes players will return to the ice and finish the season in a different way. Gretzky is self-quarantining in California while helping the league to connect with fans during its pause for the pandemic. On Wednesday, he'll challenge Alex Ovechkin, the highest-scoring active NHL player in a televised video game showdown. And after 15 years in professional basketball, Andrew Bogut says he's unsure about his playing future. The Australian centre is contemplating retirement amid the COVID-19 sports shutdown and the postponement of the 2020 Olympics. Drafted first overall by the Milwaukee Bucks in 2005, Bogut went on to win the NBA title with the Golden State Warriors in 2015. He was planning to retire after playing at the Tokyo Games in three months, but those games have been pushed back to 2021 when the player will be 36. Bogut has represented Australia at every Olympic Games since Athens 2004. And that's your look at sports. To end the news, the top stories once again. There are growing calls for the government to clarify the Beijing power route. An infectious disease expert says social distancing measures should remain in place. And a think tank blames government red tape for causing tight housing supply. And that's the news from RTHK.
And welcome to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Monday afternoon. Monday, the 20th of April, is today's date. And many thanks to Mr. Phil Whelan. Welcome back to him on the Morning Brew. We do have a busy program today. Um, as uh, April is Autism Awareness Month, we are commemorating that by talking about the provision of services for children with autism. And we'll be chatting with Keith Lee, who's the project director of the Rainbow Project Learning Center, which is a local charity uh, here in Hong Kong, which uh, provides English medium special needs education and also occupation therapy and also speech therapy to children uh, with autism and other special education needs. That'll be uh, just uh, half past one with Keith Lee and after 2 o'clock we're talking to fitness coach Nathan Solia once again about uh, exercising with our children. That can be quite um, interesting, shall we say. Uh, we'll hear more from Nathan after the 2 o'clock news. And finally, um, we will end with a bit of trash talk and uh, this week, Marcy Trent Long talks to Nigel Mann.